John chapter number 1. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 19. The Bible says, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Esaias. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? Jesus answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who cometh after me, uh, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, they asked him a question uh, in verse number uh, 20. They said, uh, 19 and 20 and 21, they asked him if he was the Christ. And he said no. And then they asked him a lot of other questions. But they would have found the answer to those questions if they had just uh, been there, because the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's read that again. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, bless your word, Lord. I am unworthy to stand in your pulpit, but God, I know through the power of the Holy Spirit that you're able to use a yielded vessel. And Lord, help me to be yielded. Father, help me to be submissive. Pray the Lord that this morning I'd not say anything that you wouldn't have me to say. And Lord, that I would uh, not refrain from saying anything you'd have me to say. But Lord, that I would just do your will in a way that would please you. And I pray that your word would be applied to the hearts of your people. And God, that you gain glory out of it. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their lost state and their need of Calvary. And we'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you. And we love you only because you first loved us, Lord. Uh, But we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. One of the most famous verses, I suppose, in the Word of God is verse number 29, when John says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We learn that as a young child. We learn it in Sunday school. We're taught it in vacation Bible school. And it's galvanized upon the hearts of God's people. When John saw Him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. But you know, one uh, commenter has mentioned that really these three words, Behold the Lamb. The Bible is a large book, and if we were to summarize the Word of God in three words, I'd propose that these would be the three words we'd summarize it by. Now, if I was to ask you what three words you'd pick, there'd be a lot of them I'm sure that you would pick. You might say that God is love, and certainly He is. You might say that uh, where our Lord said, come unto me, and certainly those are beautiful words. But as I look at the Word of God, and if I was to try to take a work so vast and summarize it down into three words, I believe it'd be these three words, behold the Lamb. 
Now, this morning I want to take these three words. Y'all mind if I take my coat off? I hope not. I've been doing it all the time I've pastored here, so if you've had a problem, you haven't said anything about it. Amen. But uh, I'd like to take these three words and just look at them individually. It's very short, very simple. Behold the Lamb. But in these three words, I believe we have three main things that the Word of God presents to us. The first word we see is the word behold. Now, that word's found all throughout the Word of God. And sometimes words just become a part of our vocabulary without considering what they mean. But the word behold is actually a command that is given. Uh, It's not just a pretty word to be plugged in to make the Bible longer, but it's given as a command both to the sinner and to the saint to look upon the Lord. And I believe in that little word behold, we have a solution to the problems of this world. Can I tell you this morning, we live in a sin-sick world. Ever since Adam uh, took and ate of the fruit, and the ground was cursed, and man was cursed, and woman was cursed, and sin entered in, and uh, death abounded, this has been a sin-sick world that we live in. And this world, believe it or not, is actually rather sensitive to the fact that it does have a problem. It just doesn't know what the answer is. You can look around you, neighbor, and see that everywhere you look, uh, some of you, when you grow up, you would have never, ever, ever imagined someone walking into a school and taking a gun and killing 20 people. You would never imagine that. You would have never imagined turning on the television and seeing what would have been the equivalent of pornography when some of you were young on prime time, the main three channels. But that's where we're at today. We're in a day when homosexuality abounds. Or let me just use a good Bible word, sodomy abounds. We live in a day when pedophilia abounds. We live in a day when the marriage bed is defiled and nothing is thought of it. We live in a day when homes are broken and hearts are broken. We live in a sin-sick world, church. We live in a sin-sick world. You look around you and you see the heartbreak of this world. And the mortal man would be tempted to cry out and say, Lord, what, what could be the answer? What is it? That could fix this world's problems. Can I tell you that in that little world, behold, word behold, we have the answer to this world's problems. To look, to look upon, to look unto. I believe the reason we have the solution to this world's problems is because in this word we have two things given to us. I want you to note first off that the mode of salvation is presented to us in this little word. Remember, it means to look upon, to look unto. Uh, you know, we've all sang the song many times, look and live, look and live, look and live. Uh, and there's probably no more beautiful illustration of what takes place in the life of the believer than is given in the Scripture uh, when it tells us that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Can I tell you that salvation, what it really is, now let me get technical and deep here, salvation is looking unto Him for our salvation need. That's what it is. It's not works. Uh, that blows works out of the water. I know there's some that believe in a work salvation, but you know the Bible says by grace are you saved. And the Bible says if it's of works, it's no more of grace. Uh, so uh, true biblical salvation is grace and grace alone. And it's exhibited in this little word to behold, to look unto. I'm reminded of the nation of Israel whenever they were murmuring and complaining against God. They must have been Baptists, amen. They were murmuring and complaining and griping, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. They began to strike the people and to bite them, and they began to die. And an instruction was given to Moses that he might take and make a brazen serpent. 
a model of what was biting them, a model of the plague of their life, and hang it upon a large pole. And there in the camp of the children of Israel, if any of them would simply look unto that, not if they took medicine, not if they cleaned themselves up, not if they joined a church, not if they got baptized, if they just looked unto that serpent, they would be healed. You say, what's the significance of that? Uh, Can I tell you that the Bible says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness so must also the Son of Man be lifted up. You see, that was a picture of what our Lord did at Calvary. You say, well, how could that be a picture of our Lord? That old slithery snake, that that statue of a snake up upon that hole, it's a picture of Calvary in two ways. Number one, it shows us the lifted up nature of our Lord. It's not accident that He was hung upon a rugged cross for your sins and mine. It's indicative of His office as Savior, making a bridge between heaven and earth for all men that they might see. We're to look up unto the Savior. You say, why a serpent? Uh, Because He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful. He never committed a single sin. But He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came and lived on this earth, and He was perfect. He was 100% God, but He was 100% man. He was tempted in all points like as we are. I like this, yet without sin. And He died a sacrifice for you and for me upon the cross of Calvary. The Bible says He took not on Him the form of angels, but He took on the form of man, of His brethren. It behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren. You say, what's the difference between the serpent on the pole and the serpent on the ground? The serpent on the pole didn't have any venom in it. It came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but there was no poison to kill and to destroy. Our Lord and Savior came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but He lived a perfect, sinless, immaculate life, went to the cross of Calvary, suffered, bled, and died for your sins, for mine, for the sin of the world. He was hung upon that cross. And what is the command given to the sinner? Is it that they clean themselves up? I'll tell you, neighbor... That thief on the cross, he messes up a lot of false theology nowadays. You know that? (laughs) That thief on the cross messes up a lot of theology. Because that thief on the cross, he probably wasn't a very good fella. He probably had never been baptized. If I had, he had probably never met John down by the river of Jordan and said, Brother John, would you baptize? Probably never that happened. He probably looked a little rough around the edges. He probably, I don't know, I have no idea. He might have had his hair a little long. I don't know, it could have been. He might, hey, it was Israel. He might have even had a beard. You you can't get more unholy than wearing a beard, can you? Amen? He's probably a little rough around. He's probably filthy. He was a thief, which means he probably didn't have a lot of money. They didn't ask him to go and join the Rotary Club and join the high church. Didn't ask him to take himself off the cross, go baptize himself, and then come back. Didn't ask him to clean himself up and cut his hair off and... And, and shave his whiskers and, and look presentable. He looked to our Lord and he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The Lord didn't say, well, we'll talk about it. The Lord didn't say, I'll save you by grace, but you may, must maintain it by works. He didn't say that either, did he? He didn't say, you come halfway and I'll go halfway. Aren't you thankful the Lord didn't come halfway to you? Because I'm going to be honest, neighbor, there's a lot of us we didn't even know what we was in when the Lord came to us. We weren't even aware of it. He had to make us aware of the miry clay we were in. But uh, I read that passage and the Lord looked at him and he said, Today. I don't know that there's much more beautiful of word. Today. Not tomorrow. 
Not at the next meeting. Not when a supernatural manifestation occurred. He said, today. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You know what that old thief did? He's hanging on that cross there with the Lord. And he just looked over at him. And he just asked that he might be saved, that he might be remembered, that he might be forgiven. We see the mode of salvation is just just looking unto the Lord. Now you say, well, don't I have to pray? Well, the Bible does say to call upon the name of the Lord. I don't know that it means some real high church lengthy prayer with all the little tags in it. But uh, I, I read in the Bible and it tells me that if thou shalt believe in thine heart, shalt confess with thy mouth, thou shalt be saved. I read in the Word of God where it says that if thou believest with all thine heart, you see, the truth of the matter is salvation comes only by grace and by exercising faith in Jesus Christ, looking to Him. So we see the mode of salvation. But you say, surely it's not that simple. Well, let me put it this way. We see the mode of salvation, but we see the mandate of salvation. Uh, you say, is there anything required of me for me to be saved? I'd say, yes, there is. You say, oh, you're telling me I have to give to your church or, or join a church to no. know. Oh, you're telling me, preacher, that I have to be a good person and work my way and go and give the God? No. I'll tell you exactly what you have to do to be saved. Are you ready? You have to look unto Him, but you have to look unto Him alone. We see the mandate of salvation. Anybody that's trusting anything other than Christ to get them to heaven has never been saved. Can I, play, can I say that a little plainer? Anybody that has never trusted Christ and is not trusting Him alone as their means of salvation has never been saved. You can't get to heaven by trusting Christ and works. You can't get to heaven by trusting Christ and the church. You can't get to heaven by trusting Christ and your lineage and heritage and ancestry and genealogy. The only way that you'll ever come to know Christ as your Savior is by forsaking yourself, letting the Lord nail you to a cross and saying, I'm done with the old man. Lord, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. <laughs> There's the old story given to the man that was drowning. And the Coast Guard came to try to save him. And out he was in the middle of the ocean. And he was uh, flailing about, doing everything he could to tread water. And that old boy dropped down from the helicopter and started to try to work with him and everything. And uh, the guy just kept flailing and flailing and flailing. And finally that old boy pulled out that uh, little, you know, they carry the flare pistols in case they're out there, pulled out that flare pistol and just busted that old fellow right across the head. And down that fellow went. And he picked him up and they got him in the helicopter. A little bit later, his uh, buddies that were working with him looked at him and said, why in the world did you hit that guy and knock him out? I mean, that guy wasn't doing anything. He was just trying to save himself. The man looked at him and said, as long as he was saving himself, I couldn't save him. As long as he was kicking and flailing about and trying to do it in his own energy, he was going to drown him and me both. I had to stop him from trying to save himself. What a sinner needs before they'll ever come to know Christ is to understand that they are completely and utterly bankrupt. That there's nothing good in and of themselves. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. They cannot save themselves. They cannot begin to save themselves. They cannot pretend of saving themselves. They have to be made aware that they're lost and hopeless without Jesus Christ. They look unto Him and Him alone. Behold, the Bible says, the Lamb of God. But we see this other little word, thee. In the word behold, we see a solution to the problems of the world. Uh, but in the word thee, we see a stand given against the philosophies of this world. It says, the Lamb of God. 
You know, the Bible, I suppose, could have said, Behold a Lamb of God, but it didn't. It said, Behold the Lamb of God. You see, that's significant. It shows us a couple things. This flies in the face of modern theology. We live in a world that would like you to believe that all roads lead to heaven. The Bible teaches that all roads lead to hell except one. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says there's a way. You say, it seems right to me. Well, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. It doesn't matter if your theology makes sense to you. If it's not in line with the Word of God, then it spells D-E-A-T-H, death. That's all it spells. You cannot save yourself. You cannot concoct your own theology. That's part of the problem I have with the contemporary movement. They try to concoct their own image of who and what God is. They try to make His holiness secondary to His love. But let me tell you something. God revealed His holiness before He ever revealed His love. And you'll never understand the love of God until you understand the holiness of God. It does not take much for a human being to love someone when they've done wrong, when they've sinned, when they've messed up. But a holy God that is bound to His Word, bound to His nature, it took a blood sacrifice for Him to love you. And it was because of His holiness. That's why it took a blood sacrifice. He had to maintain His holiness, His justice, that He might be just and the justifier, the book of Romans tells us. This shows us two things that I want you to notice. It speaks of the Savior's claims about Himself. He is the Lamb of God. He's not one of many lambs, but He is the Lamb of God. You say, what's that significant? Why is that? Because He was a promised Lamb. I was going to preach on it this morning. The Lord just wouldn't give me liberty to do so. But if you were to read in uh, Genesis chapter number 22, you'll find out that the Lord had been... uh, And I know He was the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. I know. But as far as in the context of human history, uh, humanity had been waiting for a Lamb for a long time. In Genesis chapter number 22, the Bible gives us the account of God uh, commanding Abram to take his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah and to offer him as a sacrifice. And in verse number 7, Isaac asks a question that went 2,000 years unanswered. He looked at Abraham and he said, Father, Abram said, here am I, son. And he said, here is the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, you may say, well, there was a lamb that was there that day. No, no, the Bible says there was a ram caught in the thicket. Now, there's a lot of uh, prophetical and typical significance about that ram, but let's just suffice it to say that the ram that Abram was looking for, the ram that Isaac was looking for, the lamb, the lamb that Jacob and Joseph was looking for, the lamb that David was looking for, the lamb that Samuel was looking for, the lamb that was promised was not that ram caught in a thicket that day. Two thousand years it went unanswered, and then one day John seeth Jesus coming. And he says, Behold the Lamb. (laughs) I think John knew something, don't you? I don't think John was just saying, Oh, look, there is a Lamb. You see, I think John knew something about the Word of God. I think John understood the significance of Mount Moriah. And I think John, as he looked forward and he saw his cousin that he had known from just a child, he had never been aware before. We don't know, but we suppose he had never been aware that uh, Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He knew Him as his cousin. He was around Him every day. Uh, but now we find as he's standing there and he uh, says, there's a man coming after me uh, who is preferred before me, uh, whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. He's the one coming to, uh, to prepare and to make straight. He's the one coming uh, to save and bring salvation to this world. He sees Jesus coming. And I think his mind went back to Mount Moriah. 
And he thought about the deficiency of that ram. And he thought about the question that Isaac asked. And I think in a moment it flooded to his mind and he became aware and he understood that Christ was the Messiah. And there in a moment, John looked forward and said, there's the Lamb, there's the Lamb, there's the Lamb. That's the one that's been promised. That's the one that's been commanded. That's the one that God's giving. That's the one that we've been looking to. That's the one that every Lamb that's been sacrificed since the beginning of the institution of the law, every single Lamb that's been given since uh, the sacrifice was given to our sin-sick parents. Every single lamb has looked forward to this lamb. That's the Lamb of God which cometh to take away the sin of the world. He speaks of Him being promised, uh, but He speaks of Him being perfect. A lamb is something, ideally, that's supposed to be spotless. And our Lord was spotless. And He was sinless. He is the Lamb. He's not just a good man. He's not just a good teacher. But He is the Lamb. Uh, the world would have you to believe that He is just a good teacher, just a good man, just a good humanitarian, just the first great martyr of the Christian cause. But you read the Word of God, and it's as clear as the daylight, neighbor, that He was not just a good man, He was not just a teacher, but He was the very incarnate, immaculate, perfect Son of God, the Word manifest in flesh, dwelling amongst us. That's who He was, and that's who He is today. We see that He was the Lamb. But it speaks not only of the Savior's character, but of the singularity of Christ. He's the Lamb. He's the only Lamb. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by Him. This whole mess of anything, everything goes. Well, you just, you just worship God in your way. Well, your worship is not for you. Your worship is for God. And you better figure out how God wants you to worship Him if you're going to expect Him to be pleased with you. The Bible says that by faith, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's not good enough to believe in a God, neighbor. You've got to believe in the Lamb. Plenty of people in this world that believe in a God are going to split hell wide open. They've got every religion in the world, but they don't have the relationship with Christ that's needed. A man was an atheist. You know, they've said that there's no foxhole atheist. A man was an atheist when he went into the army. And one day, he, uh, uh, the bombs began to fly and the, the bullets began to whiz by his head. He dived in as a particularly close bombshell went off and he dived down into the foxhole and he began to pray. And his buddies looked at him and said, what are you praying for? I didn't think you, you were a religious person. He said, I got religion. They said, which religion did you get? He said, I got all of them. One of them's bound to be right. <laughs> no, the Bible teaches explicitly that there is one way to heaven. If you don't go by that way, one door to the sheepfold, neighbor, one door. And if you don't go in that way, you're not going to go in. I believe if I was you and I didn't know, I'd make sure that I knew that that was the way to heaven that I was on. I'd make sure that I knew that I had accepted Christ. We see the word the. It speaks of a stand against the philosophies of the world. I'm going to close with this. I'm not going to keep you long. Behold, we see a solution to the problems of the world. The, we see a stand against the philosophies of the world. Lamb, we see a sacrifice for the peoples of the world. In that word lamb, there's so much that's said. We find in that word lamb, his purpose is given. Lamb was a sacrificial animal. In fact, a lamb, you can eat a lamb, uh, you can get wool from a lamb, you can do some things, but they're not work animals. They're raised for consumption. Can I say that again? A lamb is raised 
for consumption. Whether it's eating, whether it's slaying, whether it's wool, it's raised to give something. It's not raised for service. And the Bible teaches us that our Lord, uh, it says the Lamb of God which, will, which starteth a great and wonderful church. Now, I, I agree that He planted the church. It's, the church is not built upon Peter, but it's built upon our Lord. I understand that. But He came into this world not to start a great denomination. He came in this world not to, not to just reform people. He came into this world not to abolish uh, liquor or drugs or any of those things. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I'll tell you why Christ came into this world. Christ came into this world not to make good men better. He came into this world to make wicked men saved. That's why He came into this world. He didn't come into this world to provide us a pattern for daily life. He came into this world to provide us a propitiation for our lost souls. He came into this world. His purpose is given to which taketh away sin. I like this. I'm going to close with this. We see not only in this word lamb, we see His purpose. He came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. But we see His power. That word taketh is interesting. I, I didn't, I'm not a big grammar person. You can tell that. You listen to me preach four minutes and you know I'm not a big grammar person. But I do know that the word taketh is a present tense word. Now, I understand the Bible says that by one sacrifice, by one offering, He put away sin. But, you know, just because He's died for the sins of every man, that doesn't mean that every man has his sins effectually forgiven. If they've not accepted Christ as their personal Savior, they're just as lost today as they've ever been. Just the historical fact that Jesus Christ died was not enough. It's not just... Let me put it this way. Trusting, believing in Jesus Christ. It's not a set of rules that we believe in. It is a person we put our faith in. It's not a code that we live by. It's not a creed that we accept. It's not a church that we join. It is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of the living God. The Bible says He's the Savior of all men, but especially of them that believe. What does that mean? That means for any man in this world, if they need a Savior, He's the only one they're going to have. But for the believer, He is the effectual Savior in our lives. We've accepted Him. We have a relationship with Him. We walk with Him. We talk with Him. And He tells us that we are His own. You see, there's a relationship there. But what I like is this. It's not just the historical fact of the cross of Calvary. Let me tell you, the cross of Calvary would have meant nothing. Nothing. It would have been the shattered end of a deluded dream had it not been for an empty tomb. It's not just that He took away sins. It's that He taketh away sin. It's not just that He could save. It's that He can save. It's not just that He did live. It's that He does live. That's what I'm telling you this morning. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that in this phrase, He taketh away the sin of the world. It's not just that He was a good man that lived and died, but it's that He was the God-man that rose again and He can save to the uttermost them that come unto Him. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning. The story was given of a little boy that had Down syndrome. He uh, started school and... When he started school, all the kids would pick on and make fun of him. His name was Philip, and one day it was Easter time. 
and the uh, the teacher gave them all little plastic eggs. You know those little plastic eggs. You, know, you get them for your kids at at uh, you can't keep you can't keep money in your pocket or in your house to save your life. But you give those Easter eggs out, you'll find them for 15 years all around your house with stuff stuck in them. But gave, gave them those little Easter eggs and told all the kids, said, I want you to go outside and I want you to bring something that tells us of new life. And so all the kids went outside. It was recess time and they gathered all kinds of different things. And they came back in. The teacher said, all right, I want you to come and, and, and pile them right in front of me. I'm going to go through them. She began to open them and she found you know, a little flower that had bloomed and she found a butterfly and she found all these different things that spoke of life. And then she came to one egg and she opened it and it was empty. And she said, whose egg was this? You, you forgot to put something in it. And little Philip, bless his heart, raised his hand said, it was mine. And all the kids began to make fun and said, Philip, you're so dumb. You, you were supposed to put something in. What's the matter with you, you dummy? What? You were supposed to put something in there. And the teacher said, Philip, you were supposed to, to bring something back that spoke of life. And Philip said, well, excuse me, ma'am, but I did. And said, Philip, there's nothing in here. He said, that's right. I brought back an empty tomb. <laughs> I brought back an empty tomb. It's not just a bloody cross. It's an empty tomb, neighbor. It's the fact that He's alive. He's risen. He can save you. He can save your family. He can save your neighbors. He can save your co-workers. He'll take all that come unto Him and He'll in no wise cast them out this morning. I want you to understand that He's able to save you. He's able to save your children and your family. In these three words, I believe we have the message of the Bible. We're presented with the problem of this world, but that God gives us a solution and a way of salvation. God makes it plain that it's, that it's exclusive. Not exclusive in its membership, but exclusive in its mandate. There's no other way to heaven. All can be saved if they'll come unto Him, but they must come unto Him. And we find the truth that even today, the blood has never lost its power. I like what the old songwriter said, there's still enough blood on that old rugged cross. Today, if you're lost without Christ, can I tell you, He, he wants to save you today. You may have tossed and turned in your bed at night. You may have had many sleepless nights, concerned, broken, searching and seeking. Can I tell you, He's the answer. He's what you've been looking for. You may in your heart have been crying out, Oh, where's the Lamb? Where's the sacrifice? Where's the one that can save me? Where's the one that can change me? Where's the one that can give me joy? Where's the one that can give peace to my troubled mind? Oh, where is the Lamb? Isaac cried that way too. But can I give you the good news that John gave us? The next day John seeth Jesus coming and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And He can take your sin away too if you'll come unto Him.